Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance. In this episode, we dive into the enigma of family offices. Richard Wilson is the CEO of Family Office Club, and he joins us to take us into the black box of family office money and how companies can tap into this enormous pool of investor wealth. We also discuss, of all things, social media. We get into how he's used informal, quote unquote, real social media posts and blogs to attract multi-billion dollar clients to his business. At around the 15 minute mark of our discussion, Richard shares with us how social media has become a cornerstone of his marketing program to attract and engage some of the wealthiest families in the world. Out of amazement, I asked Richard and he delivered on some great tips and tricks of what CEOs can do to start attracting strategic investors, mainly family offices. As part of this, he explains the trust curve and the three kinds of trust needed to receive investment from family offices. It's a really interesting perspective. I hope you enjoy this one, and I encourage you to check out Richard's free resources on his websites. These can be found at familyoffices.com, pitchdex.com, and centimillionaires.com. I'll put links to all of these in the show notes. Enjoy this episode. On the line, I have Richard Wilson. Uh, Richard, you're the, the founder of Family Office Club, and along with many things, you manage the fortunes of some ultra high net worth families and uh, individuals. There's so much that you do, and I'm really happy to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Corey. Appreciate it. What I'd like to do is start off with a bit of an intro for, of yourself, a little elevator pitch. Uh, would you mind giving us some color about uh, who you are and the Family Office Club and what you do? Sure. I'll keep it brief. Anything your listeners you think would want to learn more about, you know, that's the purpose of the whole interview, I guess. But, uh, you know, Family Office Club, we have 1,700 plus registered family offices in the organization, and we host 30 live events per year in nine different cities, mostly the U.S. and then Singapore uh, is where we're strong, as well as London, but very strong in the U.S. And then we also have a division that works with people who are raising capital or working on investor relations called pitchdex.com. And it's an investor relations marketing agency. And we have a division that helps families set up their family offices, invest more effectively. And uh, that's called Centimillionaire Advisors. So we're really helping them with the non-traditional wealth management part of their portfolio. So we don't trade stocks and bonds for people. Uh, we help them buy you know, pieces of real estate, invest into operating businesses, et cetera. Interesting. You know, I, I remember first coming across your work on one of the uh, LinkedIn groups that you have, and you were talking about how to properly pitch and how to properly engage investors. In this case, it was specific to finding family offices to bring in as clients to manage their, their wealth. Um, I thought it was really interesting and compelling content, but you do a lot of work with family offices and that is a really, I think, a misunderstood 
well of, of capital for potential companies. Can you provide us some color on that? Sure. Yeah, it is really misunderstood. Everything from the name to what they want to how to find them. Uh, so a family office is really just an ultra wealthy family. And there are two main types. There's a multifamily office that's like a wealth management firm, essentially, that's more holistic and more catered to the person who's worth seven, 10, 20 million up to 50 or even sometimes $100 million plus. But many families, if they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars, they form a single family office, which is a organization just for themselves. They might still engage a multifamily office for their public market exposure and some help with estate planning, et cetera. But a lot of people at that level of wealth, the closer you get to 100 million or over, you sometimes want your own dedicated infrastructure to allow you to move quickly on direct investments. And I think that you know the term family office throws people, but also some families are, are private. Some are very public because of the nature of their business holdings or their personalities. Um, but they have so many people coming after them all the time. It's connected to what you just said. The first way you heard about it was through LinkedIn. We have found that it's through providing uh, thought leadership and being generous with insights uh, that it allows families to know that our organization exists and then they reach out uh, to us because of that. These are very busy individuals. They're the most successful people in the economy. So a lot of people would want to partner with them and pitch things to them. So I think that for a CEO listening, you know, one insight they could get from this is that, you know, ha having your brand and your uh, reputation be what attracts wealth to you and families to you so that they are calling you about investing in your fintech company or your self-storage you know, platform, et cetera, is it, uh, I think, something to take away from this. That's what we've learned, and that's why we keep on producing more thought leadership. Hmm. Now, I mean, these family offices, whether it be a dedicated family office or a, a multifamily office, they're managing the, the wealth of, of their clients. And what I understand is that those, those family offices would... Would they, they'd measure, or they, excuse me, they would manage it very similar to the way a, a broker would uh, an investment portfolio for a, a client in a brokerage firm. I mean, obviously, with a lot more, um, I, I would imagine, sophistication, but there's a degree of deal flow they would need and to satisfy perhaps a, a desire to, to invest in a certain asset class. Uh, how, yeah. How, yeah, how should, how should companies? approach these CEOs and these family offices and start to build relationships? Because I think that that could be a really valuable source of capital. Yeah, I think what you brought up is a really good point that they have the traditional parts of a wealth management portfolio. But importantly, once you get worth 10, 12, 15, 20 million, especially if you're worth more, you tend to start wanting to invest in cash flowing real estate and then back into other companies in your industry or new ventures that you launch, maybe with partners. And so what happens is that most people's portfolio, when they're ultra wealthy, gets split into three components, a stock market, public exposure component, which can be a pretty large component, a real estate component, usually cash flowing real estate for the most part, maybe some development. And that could be, you know, ranges per family, but 20 to 40 or 50% sometimes of the portfolio. And then a section that invests in operating businesses. So I think if you're going to approach a family, it's good to know that because just because they made their money in manufacturing doesn't mean they won't invest in something real estate related, most families do invest in real estate. And the biggest shortcut that I can provide to listeners on helping find families to invest with you, whether you're looking for a $100,000 check at a time or a $10 million check at a time, 
is to look at who made money in your industry and had an exit, took their company public, or their chairman of a publicly traded company, or maybe create a historical list of people that were on the Inc. 500 five to 10 years ago, and now figure out what happened to those companies, but only in your industry. So one company I invested in recently, and I'm investing in another round, um, is a consumer products company. So I would look for other people who have had exits to invest because they can add strategic value, not just money, and they're going to be faster to close because they already understand how distribution of consumer products work, you know, what is the direct-to-consumer trend, etc. Just like a fintech company um, that I invested in recently and one of my clients might follow on and invest as well, uh, you know, they are going to only investors who invest in fintech and consumer lending-related companies. So it just makes sense because... Um, it speeds up the time to close, and then there's much more value after the close for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, a familiarity there, and I think as well for for those who have the money and are looking to invest, uh, likely um, the value that would come from from their knowledge and their their contacts in that industry, as well as like you say, there, there's probably a, a faster move to close because they understand the industry well. Right. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I didn't want to make it too long winded, but I think a really important point that took me about a decade to figure out, even though it's so simple when I say it, is that almost all deals can be seen through the lens of three different types of trust that have to be built up on some level. And the first type of trust is trust in the CEO, the founder, the team. And the second type of trust is in the industry overall. And the third type is in the exact deal at hand. So if you're raising capital for a stem cell company based in Dallas, Texas, but you're raising capital from somebody based in Singapore that you've never met before. That means they're not up the trust curve yet on you and they're not local to the deal. Then hopefully they know the stem cell space already. Otherwise you might as well not even go to the meeting with that investor because it's just going to be too tough to move them up all three of those trust curves. And this is why people raise money from friends and family first. It doesn't matter if they don't understand blockchain, they might invest anyways because they're your brother-in-law or your father, or they went to school with you and they just trust you. Um, but I think every time you go into a meeting, you can think about those trust curves and anytime you're about to reach out to someone or create a new prospect list, but to reach out to, I think you can think about it through those three curves. That's a, that's a really uh, great point. And you know, some of the, the best things I find with guests we have on is when they are able to put things in very simple lists to look at. And, and I can see that I can picture that those three points are something that is, uh, such a valuable piece. So thanks for sharing that. I think that will go a long way. Now with the Family Office Club, and then you mentioned uh, your other business there on the, on the pitch deck work that you do. Can mm-hmm. you expand more there, some of the work that you do with your clients? Uh, and then also, you know, some of those things that they can, some tactics they can put at play to, to help them raise money and perhaps, uh, you know, a process or a strategy, which is really valuable that you find works well. Yeah, sure. So Family Office Club, you know, I started it 12 years ago just to try to make the industry more efficient and transparent. Um, We're lucky enough to be in the space early and as it's expanded, we've been able to, you know, we've hosted 130 events over the last 12 years. And we usually feature about 200 family offices on stage each year at our different events. And so we learn a lot from what they say on stage and from the work with clients. And so what we do is host 30 events. Nine of them are investor summits. The rest are workshops. And the workshops could be like our private investor advantage workshop we're doing in Singapore. 
real soon here, or it could be a workshop on influence and persuasion for people that are raising capital or a workshop just on pitch decks. We've got five different varieties of it, but the idea is that we are stronger as a company when we can take the lessons from, like today I had a phone call with a $10 billion net worth family out of Asia, but I also had a call with a $14 million net worth family out of North Carolina. And looking at the two ends of the spectrum and finding those golden threads of what are all family offices really looking for? What are most looking for? What's usually true? What are the best practices and trends? And then we dispel those and push those down through the training workshops um, that we provide. And then we have a Netflix-like membership model. So it's uh, $99 first month and then two to 300 a month to be a member. And at the 299 a month, you can come to any and all of the, th- the 30 events per year and usually people come to one or two per, per quarter. But one of the big insights that is, is simple is that the relationship matters more than what you're offering them. So high conviction and trust in who you are and alignment and long-term commitment, it matters more than the IRR you're promising. It matters more than the valuation that you're giving them. Um, it matters more than the potential return that they could get. They need to really trust uh, in the execution and what's being offered to them. Many people make mistakes. Yeah, it's a big personal component. And and I think at my events, sometimes I'll have a CEO run around and say, Hey, I've got this amazing company, it's low risk, you know, we're gonna change the world, et cetera. And they're very, you know, excited about it, but they're running around and putting that in front of investors, and investors kind of are leaning back saying, Well, you know, who are you? Like what what's your background? And you know, they need to get to know you over a little bit of time. And I know some people listening, you know, you feel like you have no time, you have negative time available and you need to raise capital right now. But the bigger check size you go after and the more ultra wealthy the family, um, even if they know your industry, it's going to take longer than if you're asking for a $50,000 or a $25,000 angel investment from somebody who invests in one company every three years and they only see four deals a year. They don't have much thinking to do on that because they probably have a full-time job. They don't really have a due diligence checklist. You know, it's not a huge amount of money. Um, so I think that's all important things to keep in mind. And I've got one or two other examples I can give, but I don't want to talk and talk without letting you interject and see what your well, audience might want to. What? Yeah, what is, I'd love to hear those examples, but I do want to interject on a couple of points. Sure. One, uh, from the research I've done on the work you've done in building Family Office Club, and the, the business model you have there and the amount of events you put on for what is a very niche space, I have to say, man, it's very impressive. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to have you on and I think you guys are doing a great job. Yeah, well, thank, thanks for saying that. Yeah, it's exciting because it's a space that's growing quickly. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's something like a thousand years ago, I think Euclid wrote a book um, on geometry. And uh, one of my mentors, Dan Sullivan, brought this up recently and I just connected it with an insight I wanted to share that we really drive forward through all the work we do with our pitchdecks.com clients because what we've found is that a lot of people have credibility, but then their materials look like high school clip art. They don't have a Mm -hmm. logo. They can't summarize what they do concisely, and it becomes a mess. And Euclid's, uh, one of his theories was about right angles and how gravity just performs well with right angles and buildings are stronger when they're built at right angles. And so I think when you think about psychologically how to appeal to an investor or a client or a customer, if you can form a right angle of what you do and then direct it straight to them right between the eyes because the center of their world is their own brain and that's where the gravity comes from on what they care about, 
and you can specify something and narrow it down to a sentence on why you're relevant on planet Earth compared to all of the other things that they could be spending their energy on or be potentially investing in, and compared to your competitors and non-competitors that might take up their time and attention, but in a way that's very specific to them, then I think things go amazingly better. And so many investment managers, so many CEOs are so far from that, they can't say in a single sentence even what their company does or why someone should invest in it, much less customize what investors are going to and customize that one liner to really hit them between the eyes with value. Hmm. I've never I've never seen geometry be pulled into uh, to the world of finance, and and I like where you're going with that. It's it reminds me of something I say. There's a there's a, a degree of physics to finance, and of course there isn't uh, there isn't exactly, but you know you can't once a cap table is set, it's very hard to change that. Uh, you know things like that that I think we have to keep in mind. So um, I think the listeners will will appreciate your uh, your reference there. Sure, sure. Yeah, no problem. And I, and I, your earlier comment about writing a lot, you know, we also, um, we found early on by writing a lot and doing a lot of videos and speaking publicly a lot that we were able to gain new relationships. But importantly, we found the digital world was very effective at creating new leads. But until you meet in person, have met an event or have some real world engagement, or at least a video interaction, but a real world engagement really can't be replaced then it's just a digital lead. And so real business, I think, gets done at scale when you can meet people in person. And that's obviously really important to anyone who's looking to develop relationships and use thought leadership to kind of approach them. But the other reason we do that is that these are very busy, sought-after people. And if you can add value first, whether you meet them at, at an event or you get introduced over email or you just find their website on, online and you want to approach them, Finding a way to do them a favor before you do anything else is going to separate you from 99% of people they interact with. But don't even take the time to see who they are before pitching them. Hmm. If you take the time to see who they are, you actually add value first and help them grow one of their operating businesses, make an introduction, um, point out something that could be helpful or offer them something at no cost that would be helpful from your own operating business, then you separate yourself from the pack. You stand up. Can we actually can we touch on that? Because uh, as I mentioned, I came across uh, the work you do on LinkedIn, and the more I dug in, you and your team are all over social media, which is almost you know people think why would somebody with a family office or family office work be on social media? But you've created some some LinkedIn groups which are you know nearing the millions of of, um, of viewers. Uh, and then you're on YouTube, you're on LinkedIn, you're on, I'm sure you're on just about every social platform. You've written a number of books. All of this goes forward. And, and I think it's a really important discussion to have because social media and the world of digital advertising or digital marketing is playing a bigger and bigger role in, in promoting and, uh, and expressing the, the potential of, of public companies out there. Uh, what have you found that works? Because content isn't easy. Right, right. Well, I found that uh, just genuine, authentic, documenting my story as I go, like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk would say, is what works. And he says, you know, people worry about overproducing things when it's the message. If you're relying upon a really cool video setup to deliver value to your audience, you're dead. Because the other people who are actually having huge, genuine value in their message and documenting what they're doing every day is who is going to run circles around you. 
And what I found is that the people who worry about producing something that just looks amazing with graphics bouncing along, it looks like you're on CNN or something, they produce about three videos a year. Um, and they're, or they're never going to produce anything while you produce 20 or 50 or 100. So mm. I love that people are hung up on that because that's what makes it so we have low competition and people who don't think it works. I mean, uh, that's why I don't have a ton of competition, but it, it works in different niches. And just in the last month, you know, we have a, a meeting in New York with a $1.8 billion uh, family office and they cold messaged me through LinkedIn. Um, I got a cold call from a $10 billion you know, Asian family. I was on the phone with today. And then we had a $2.3 billion net worth family come in with his baby stroller because of a Facebook on a retargeting ad we had on Facebook going uh, where I live here locally. And um, most people we get contacted by are more 15 million to 500 million. They're not all billion dollar plus, but I just want to dispel people from thinking, oh, this doesn't work. You know, that's, you know, that sounds like, you know, uh, something that's just too good to be true or that doesn't work mm-hmm. for the ultra wealthy because it really does. It, it's, it's, man, it's so interesting. It's so cool to hear uh, and to see somebody actually, for example, especially in the, in the world that you're in, in this, in this, what would be, I think, perhaps perceived to be everything needs to be uber polished. Everything needs to be perfect. You know, you can't say one thing out of line. You have to be, you know, top drawer all the time. And here you are applying some of the practices of one of the most vocal social media experts out there being Gary Vaynerchuk. And I think a lot of people look and go, I think Gary V is just full of it. But here right. you are putting it to practice, bringing in leads or relationships, which their wealth starts with a B. And that is incredible. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it was like uh, pretty exciting and cool is that when I got started, you know, I owe a lot of credit to um, Brian Tracy and Evan Pagan and Jeffrey Gittimer. And when I got started, I remember reading a book before I knew the family office industry existed by Jeffrey Gittimer. He said, I'll give away my best secret and all my competitors can read my books and find this if they want to. My best secret is to find a defined audience for your company and give away value once a week to that audience uh, without anything expecting in return. And if you do that for one to two years, you'll be a local expert. If you do that for three to four, you'll be a regional expert. And if you do it for you know seven to 10 years, you'll be a global expert. And I literally said to myself, I don't know when they do it on yet, but I'm the son of a bitch who's actually going to take his advice because he just told me <laughs> I'm not. And I'm going to. And this is before I knew Gary B existed. So that was the kernel of knowing that I was going to use that strategy one day without even hearing of family offices yet. Um, at that point in time. And then later I heard Evan Pagan say, you know, you got to look at what everyone in your space is giving away for free and how they're being genuinely helpful and a resource to your potential client and then do 30% more than that. So you're moving the free line in the industry and just being the more generous person, then you're more well-positioned because no one, you know, uh, wants to buy the CD or download the song, you know, uh, from an artist they've never heard of, they want to engage with someone to get help when they know that person exists and that they're the most well-positioned expert. Do you believe a, a public company or perhaps even a private company um, can do this properly to engage investors? And how do you think they can do that? Yeah, for sure they can. Uh, when I got started, you know, I had no debt, no debt in the business, no investors, no partners. And we grew this from the ground up uh, with no budget you know, to a $5 million a year company with our you know, investment advisory division growing. So if I can do it, then you know, pretty much anyone listening can do it. It's just in what form you want to do it in. So a good tactic is that if you have two or 300 investor leads, 
that you could be sending them a printed just value one page newsletter once a month. That's just going to cost you $300 a month to create that, print it out and send it. At our events, we say, how many people get 100 or more emails a day? Almost everyone's hand in the room goes up. Mm. They say, how many people get one piece of thought leadership every day in the mail? It's just pure value. And it's not selling you something. It's not telling you uh, to invest or buy a timeshare and something, et cetera. Nobody's handling up. No one even gets two pieces of direct mail a month that just add pure value that isn't trying to sell you something. But if you know that you've targeted the right investors, you can do that. You can target people based on people you've really met with in the real world. You might have 500 or 1,000 valuable prospects, retarget them on LinkedIn or Facebook. And um, you know, a big part of it is getting the right lead list. Like who are the 500 dentists that are in your state? If you have a dental product that you're raising capital for as a CEO, well then maybe raise capital from dentists who can try it out in their own practice or relate to what you're trying to do. And then they'll get more high conviction more quickly. And then you can put those 500 dentists into a newsletter that you send out each month or retarget on social media and just work those 500 over cups of coffee, et cetera. Hmm. Now, there were, you're saying retargeting. I've heard you say that a couple of times. And with my experience in digital marketing, it's, it's one of the most powerful tools to quote unquote chase people around the internet. Uh, how, how does that apply to what you're doing? And, and maybe at a, at a larger scale, because that's a bit of a jargon word that a lot of marketers can use. What lessons have you learned or, uh, well, yeah, where have you failed in your digital marketing that you know a lot of other people will and what can they avoid? Yeah, I think one failing is uh, just not understanding what retargeting meant in the past. I'm glad you brought that up. It simply means if you pay for someone to come to your website because they clicked on a Google advertisement or they just found you via Google organically or found you through getting your business card at an event and they go to your website, then they might leave after a minute or two and you don't want them to forget that you exist. If they didn't opt into an email list, there may be no other way to really get back in touch with them. So retargeting simply means somebody came to your website once and now you're going to get in front of them on their social media channels because less people are opening their emails this, these days. The other way to use retargeting is upload a list of 1,400 or 800 leads from your CRM or your Rolodex and then upload that to LinkedIn or Facebook and they'll tell you, oh, out of those 800, you know, 400 are matched accounts that we have at LinkedIn or Facebook. And then you can advertise just to those people that you know are very well qualified. So. To get that out of the way, that's what that means. But the biggest mistake I've made is just not constricting things geographically enough in the past. When I started, we would you know, advertise services for things in cities that I had no intention of going to uh, moving forward and would have a big spend. But then if you need to develop a relationship, it's hard to do so efficiently if your leads are all over the place. Hmm. So being... At the beginning, when you have a small budget and you can grow it as you get an ROI, at the beginning, we spent, I spent $300 a month on marketing and advertising at the beginning because that's all the money I had to put up to risk. And then as campaigns work, you keep them, grow them. They don't work, you shut them down. Now we have over 40 different campaigns always running and we spend anywhere from you know 25000 to 90000 a month on marketing and advertising. But a lot of that is to fill our events. So most people listening here won't have to spend that much. But the, the lesson is that if you are raising capital for something and you're based in Singapore, then start in Singapore and start with demographics that are very targeted to your industry or figure out how to make it so that you're only advertising in the three cities where you're always traveling anyways. And it'll be very easy to meet with any leads that come from those cities. And that goes for a, advertising a, 
a product you might have as a CEO or to attract uh, investors. Huh, that's, it's really, it's so cool to hear. Uh, job well done. I'm looking at time here. I know that you're very crunched for time. Uh, could we, a uh, couple more questions and is that good yeah, for sure. you? Yeah, yeah no problem. Uh, with all of your experience, and I really want to um, to bring this back to you know thinking about the CEO who perhaps they're they're leading their fifty million dollar publicly listed uh, venture um, or you know early stage company, and they need to raise money or engage investors. From all of your experience, if you were to put or to be in those shoes, what kind of closing advice would you have for for that CEO, and perhaps even take it a step further? Uh, for that CEO looking to engage long-term money with families, you know, what kind of things should they absolutely remember and, and do? I think it's to keep open-minded on how you structure the deal. Cause a lot of family offices are entrepreneurial in, in nature and um, they may want to approach it with the gross revenue royalty approach or a convertible note or debt plus equity uh, or provide a line of credit. Um, plus invest equity. So I think the open mind is really important because people go in with their term sheet that they spent $20,000 with an attorney with and they say, okay, well, here's the investment opportunity. And the family might say, well, would you be open to this? And they say, oh no, it's only this way. But then they might lose out on a major anchor investor that could have helped them raise the rest of the capital. So I think that that's really important to have an open mind. Having uh, credible investors come in, even at a small level, is obviously going to help with the raise. And then you always want multiple investors at the table if you can. And a lot of people might be listening and say, yeah, well, that sounds nice. I'd like to have just one at the table. But you know, one thing you can do is figure out who that target investor is and then figure out where they congregate. You know, Where is there a dental association? Where is there a group of CEOs that are in the consumer product space that are at a very high level or some of them are even publicly traded companies where they're probably doing acquisitions every year and just figure out um, what events they go to, what associations they're members of, or in your own city, what associations and nonprofits and clubs are the family offices in so that you can join those and naturally meet them without trying too hard. Now, with uh, a as a final question, uh, I know if I type in uh, Richard C. Wilson into, uh, into Google, you're going to be all over the place. Where can people follow your work and where can they uh, connect with you if they, they need your services? Sure. Um, I think there's, uh, there's three main, main spots I can say real quick. Uh, first is familyoffices.com. We have a free book there. Our whole event schedule is on the front page. The membership details are there. I'd love for you to check out you know, one of our events. And uh, since you had me on the podcast here, Corey, uh, I'm happy to have you as my guest at one of them. Uh, if you'd like to check one out for yourself. Um, oh, thank and, you. Sure. And uh, the next place is uh, pitchdex.com, plural, uh, pitchdex.com. We have a giveaway there on the $100,000 mistakes almost everybody makes on their pitch deck. So I would at least uh, get the little cheat sheet there if you're in the process right now of raising capital. There's a lot of things you can do where you don't have to engage our team or anybody's team. It's just a thought process of being very intentional about who you're targeting and what you should be saying to them compared to everyone else in your space. And then a third uh, area would just be if there's any investors, private investors listening, um, you can check out our work for family offices at centamillionaires.com. I'll put all this in the show notes. And uh, Richard, I know you have to run. Thank you for making the time. This has been, uh, it's been quick, but very insightful. So thank you. Great. Yeah. Thank you for your time too, Corey. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. 
You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.